to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com do you want to allow for more pleasure in your sex life join me and reba the diva aka reba corinne thomas of sexpert consultants on july 9th at 11 a.m pacific standard time this two-hour collaborative workshop will cover how your nervous system affects your pleasure potential as well as how to find the right balance of excitement and relaxation this class will also help you to learn more about your erotic style as well as lead you through some guided practices to help you come back to your body before during and after intimate moments check out more info and buy your tickets at sexpertconsultants.com slash tickets again s-e-x-p-e-r-t consultants.com slash tickets and join me on july 9th thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I'm excited to welcome Alessandra Torresani. She was born in Palo Alto, California. Uh, before becoming an actress, Alessandra studied dancing and singing from the age of two. And I think this is probably the most important, even though we're not going to talk about it. She is a black belt in Taekwondo <laughs> by the age of nine. I don't know if you still practice, but anyway, uh, her television credits include guest appearances on shows like The Big Bang Theory, Batwoman, Lucifer, Two and a Half Men, The Fosters, Workaholics, American Horror Story, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, CSI, ER, and the list goes on and on. She also has a great podcast, which is what we're going to be focusing on today, called Emotional Support Pod, where she talks all things mental health. She is also a mental health spokesperson for companies like the National Alliance on Mental Illness, also called NAMI, and that is how we met. And she happens to be bipolar. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome, Alessandra. I think that that was the best. And my favorite part of that intro is that I had to run to go tell the dogs to be quiet. And you just <laughs> continued on like such a professional. And I was like, wow, I love this girl. Um, <laughs> um, I do not practice Taekwondo for those who are asking anymore. Um, but I do, um, I do use those special skills, you know, when needed. So don't mess with me is basically. Oh, what I'm okay. Ooh. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, okay. So we met during a NAMI filming about animal assisted therapy. Yes. What did you think of animal assisted therapy? Oh my gosh. It's so wild to me because I've talked about it in almost every new episode since I um, went and did the equine therapy. Really? I, literally, I talk about it all the time. And it, I the the last episode that I just did, I was talking to um, two therapists, um, one therapist and and one that started a company. Um, and you know, they were talking about how much they love animals and they horseback ride. And I was like, Have you ever done equine therapy? Like, it is something. And I I explained every single thing that we went through, and it's it's really one of the most special things that if you have an opportunity to do it, jump on it. That's what I, what I say. Um, my best friend, um, Jenna, she, 
she rides horses and she goes to the equestrian center. And she's like, it's just so simple. Even though she's not practicing the specific equine therapy that you walked me through, there is something so magical about just connecting with the horse, even for 30 minutes, just to Mm -hmm. feel that, that heartbeat, heartbeat connection and just kind of take that moment where you're like, okay, I have to let this creature be in control of my life right now. It was so wonderful. I can't wait to come back and do it again. Uh, well, I'm sorry we're not recording there face-to-face today, but I would love to have you back. Okay. I, know, I know you bonded with some chickens there as well. Oh, so everyone, everyone's waiting for you to be back. <laughs> and the goats, I was like, I, I told my husband, I was like, Sturgis, do you think that like I can go back next week? And he's like, I think that they're going to think you're a stalker. So maybe take a moment just to breathe before you go back because they're going to think like she's plotting to figure out how to take the chickens home with her. Like, really? No, not honestly, not at all. Like once people come there, they never leave. So we have volunteers that came there for one thing and now they've stuck around. So we would love to have you back. Oh, okay. Okay. So during the NAMI presentation, you were talking a lot about bipolar and kind of how that's uh, affected your life and and sort of trajectory in being a mental health advocate and your podcast. So when did you get diagnosed bipolar and and what kind of led to your your diagnosis yeah i i didn't get diagnosed till i was around 21 22 um actually by an acupuncturist so i'm someone that that is actually very um out of the box thinking so the equine therapy was kind of perfect for me um but i you know had been going to uh you know doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and the you know hypnotherapists i'd done it all since i was a kid um and I had been um, mismedicated by put on antidepressants, which for those who live with bipolar disorder know if you're just put on antidepressants, it makes your highs higher and your lows lower, um, which, mm. you know, caused a lot of spiraling um, and, you know, suicidal, you know, ideations and actions happened. And, you know, I had lost all hope in not only the medical community, but the therapy community and kind of just like the help community. Um, because you were feeling like stuck and nothing yeah, was helping. Yeah, nothing was helping. And, and you know, I was never someone that was a suicidal, you know, in quote unquote person or had, you know, I was never that um, labeled someone that always thought about that. And when I was mismedicated, you know, and misdiagnosed, I, I just was like, why would I ever want to take any other medicine if it's making me feel this way where I'm feeling worse than I ever thought I could, you know? But I was just, you know, not sure of what I wanted to do. And and I was uh, shooting a TV show at the time up in Vancouver and I had had my first real proper panic attack. And um, I had talked to a doctor. There was an onset doctor. I was like, I'm having a stroke. I don't know what's going on. And he was just, so lovely and calmed me down and basically was like, no, what you're experiencing is a panic attack. Um, I think that, you know, you should work on your energy and stuff when you get back to LA, talk to doctors. And I went to my acupuncturist and I had told him everything that was going on. And he said, you know, I work with a lot of creative types, a lot of actors, a lot of writers, you know, those in the business and, Mm -hmm. and you are experiencing symptoms of bipolar disorder. And he's like, well, I cannot diagnose you this. I think it's time for you to try a new doctor. 
you know. Um, and so I went to a new psychiatrist and 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 had the conversation. And he said, of course, you're living with bipolar disorder. No one ever told you this before. I was like, no, sir, they did not. Um, wow. You know, uh, and that's when I got introduced to bipolar medicine and my life was completely changed for the best. Um, so, you know, I, I, I believe that there are different types of, you know, tools that we can use for our mental health. And that's why I got excited with the equine therapy because I like thinking of things out of the box because that's actually what saved me and out of the box, you know, acupuncturist, you know, is, is really what, what was able to save my mental health. Why do you think they were missing it or why didn't anybody tell you? And do you have any advice for folks who are struggling and to find something that does work for them? Yeah. I mean, I think that you look, this was 12 years ago now. I think times have changed a lot. I think, you know, when I was properly diagnosed, I think that there, you know, there's a lot of things. One of my co-hosts on my show, he is a neuroscientist and he lives with bipolar disorder number two and not two, T-O-O, number two. (laughs) And, you know, he, when I had told him about my story, when we first met years ago, he was like, bipolar disorder is one of the hardest things to diagnose. There is a huge checklist of things that they go through and it's usually at the bottom of the checklist. You know, so you go through, you know, when you go to a doctor, for instance, or when you go to a therapist, right, you're going there because there's a problem or there's an issue, there's something you want to fix. Like I'm, for me, I'm going to use me as an example, like I was feeling depressed and I never knew what depression was. I was feeling angry. I was feeling, you know, these explosions inside of me. I didn't go there when I was, you know, in a manic episode, feeling my highest high and feeling like the hottest shit in the world, you know, so I couldn't show that both sides were happening at the same time. Um, So what I always recommend to people, something that I did not do, and I think would have saved a lot of time, maybe, maybe not, I don't know, you know, can't live coulda, woulda, shoulda, but write down when you are feeling the best, write down, you know, when you are having that highest high moment and then show the doctor, not only do I have the highs, not only do I have the lows, here is literally three months every single day of all the feelings that I've been feeling. So then Mm -hmm. they have a real proper idea because it's no one's fault per se. It's just misinformation or lack of information or not asking the proper questions to you, you know? So if you can just provide as much information as possible, I think that that's the best way to start off on the process. And you were talking about the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two. Can you share a little bit about what the difference is? Sure. I only know what I've been told through David. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's it's hard um, because I live with bipolar um, number one. Um, For me, my highs are higher, my lows are lower, and the mania happens like like left and right. It doesn't really um, uh, stay, well, I guess it stays long for both sides. But for him, you know, from what I've experienced being, you know, his friend and hearing his stories is his are more of the depression and it lingers for a much longer period of time. It doesn't become the highs of mania like it was for me where it was like, come at me, bro. Like I yeah, dare you to touch I can do me. anything. I can, I can do anything. <laughs> I'm on cloud nine, you know. Um, it's not that extreme. It's it's more of it's um, Alessandra Black Belt 247. <laughs> absolutely. That is exactly what it is, you know? Yeah. Um, and and I think that that's the difference now. Granted, I've only talked 
to a few people about bipolar disorder number two. So for for bipolar two, for folks out there listening, usually it includes, like you said, more of the depressive episodes and then not a full, what's called like a quote unquote full manic episode, but something called hypomania. So it's this Mm. exacerbated energetic feeling, but it might not be as extreme as somebody um, with the bipolar one. But yeah, a lot of reason that people don't reach out when they're in a manic episode is because it feels good. You know, it feels like you're high on something. It feels like the best feel in the world. Yeah. You may not have to sleep. You think every idea that you have might be good. You're kind of doing potentially risky things, but they're all like exciting. you're getting stuff done, you're productive, you may feel like you don't need to sleep, you may not need to sleep. So a lot of people, that's why a lot of folks that I know don't take medication because they don't want to lose that. Right, right. And a lot of creative types, like, you know, you always hear the example of Kanye West, but like, it's truly a great example in the sense where he felt he didn't want to be on his medication when he was writing his music because his writing wasn't going to be as great. Now, Mm -hmm. that's his own experience. I'll tell you, for me, when I'm on my medication, that is the best version of myself because I am able to focus and be creative and still have, you know, the ideas and still be able to get through all the emotions and feel all my feels. But I'm I'm able to not lose that control where I spiral and then I'm uh, there's no hope, you know, and then that's it. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask, but you kind of already answered it. Like, do you feel like there was a transitional period where you were missing parts of how you felt yourself to be (laughs) you were like no this feels better oh I feel like I can breathe again that's really what it was you know yeah yeah and I mean like you said I think there's no one size fits all in terms of healthcare stuff and I think it's unfortunate that we kind of live in a culture often where clients of healthcare often have to be the ones to kind of advocate for themselves it's one of the only cultures where like medication is uh, advocated directly to the consumer, you know, through commercials and things like that. And so, yes, there is care out there for you if you are listening. And there may be times when you know your body better than any healthcare professional, even if they have all of the letters behind their name. And so finding what works for you um, and it may be through acupuncture, it may be through something else, but it, it may require you to be like, something still doesn't feel right. And I deserve yeah. to get answers on this and find a new doctor, find a new therapist, get second totally. opinions. And I always say, you know, with, with therapy, like you got to kiss a lot of frogs to like make sure it's the right fit. And because I have a lot of friends that that will go to a therapist once, you know, that someone will recommend and and they'll be like, oh, they, they were good, but like we didn't really like connect you know? Um, so I don't really think I need a therapist. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like try different ones because sometimes you outgrow each other. And sometimes you just want to hear a different, like a sense of opinion. And, you know, there's specialists that work with, you know, couples, there's specialists that work with kids. There's ones that are individuals. There's ones with horses, like, you know, (laughs) you have to like try it all, you know? Yeah, no, it really is like dating. And I think that's hard because a lot of times people are working through their insurance. And so they may get, push to somebody that they're like, oh, it wasn't a good fit. And then it took them so long to even get that referral that they just kind of lose right. fucking steam. And they're like, yep. I'm over it. It's not affordable. Yeah. I can't pick who I want. You know, it's not for me. Yeah. 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 So true. So hard. Well, 
I was going to ask how it sounds like with medication, it's felt really manageable. Um, but how does or did bipolar kind of look and feel for you? And what's been most helpful for you in managing how it shows up in your life? It's so funny because it's every day it's so different. Yeah. You know, every day it's so different. Some days I, I just beat myself up because I mm-hmm. didn't, you know, you know, put myself on tape for this audition, or I didn't, you know, record the episode that I wanted to do because mm-hmm. some days I just need to to stay in bed, you know, yeah. or or some days I just need to, the only important chore that I can do for the day is walk the dogs because they have to, they have to walk, yeah. you know? Um, oh, I fucking feel that. I feel yeah. That. yeah. And then some days, you know, I'm feeling so overproductive and I'm like, what can I yeah. do for my health today? Okay. You know what? I'm going to go take a dance class. Like for me, if I'm feeling stuck, being able to listen to music or listen to a podcast or listen to Howard Stern for me, that's my thing, you know, and go on a walk or go and take a class. Yeah. There's something about getting outside of your head, but still being in your head at the same time, if that makes sense. Maybe that doesn't make sense. Yeah. That made sense to me. Um, you know, th- there's, there's certain things. I think movement is very important. I think that even if you are having a shit day, sorry, can I say that? Even if you're having a oh, shit absolutely. day, <laughs> even if you're having a shit day and you need to just stay in bed and maybe just do that all day long, just take a shower. You know, I always say I, I gave myself every single day, you know, in my, my calendar and in my notes, I always give myself one thing that I have to do. And it may be the simplest thing of, you have to write this email back today because I make myself accountable because when I'm not accountable for one little thing a day, that's when I find myself spiraling. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like, you know what, today I am going to take a shower and that could be the one thing that's account that I'm accountable for, you know, and it sounds like so silly, but it's so simple, but, but it helps me out to kind of just keep on track and not fall off uh, off the deep end because mm-hmm. I'm someone where if I don't do one thing one day, then it's just going to continue to spiral down. And then I'm, I procrastinate things. Um, and that's not great for my, my bipolar disorder and for my mental health. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. I think it is an everyday thing. It's sort of like an ongoing relationship with yourself. Right. And it requires yeah. this ongoing consent every day of like, right. what am I needing today based on where I'm at? And I think that's why it can be exhausting and why we do maybe have those days of just yeah. all I can manage is walking the dogs because, uh, it, it, it can be relative, even if you don't have bipolar, it's just right. the, the world is throwing all sorts of shit at us these days. Yeah. Especially now. <laughs> Yeah, especially now. And kind of in what you were saying, it sounds like a very like compassionate, empathetic approach to yourself of like, okay, this is all I can manage today and kind of giving yourself permission for that. And I'm wondering, maybe we can talk about, I often think about like, what is the balance between taking responsibility for our own actions Mm. and balancing that though, with offering compassion and understanding for mental illness Mm. Right. Because I think I think the world is getting a little bit better with like acknowledging neurodiversity and mental health struggles as opposed to this one size fits all model. And if we're struggling with something like, yeah, maybe it's our responsibility. We can't blame everything on our trauma, on depression, whatever. But like it's a fucking big part of existing. So I wonder, yeah, what feels like the balance between like taking responsibility, taking ownership, but also that self and other compassion piece of like 
yeah, this is a lot to deal with sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like right now it's just such a weird situation that everyone in the world is dealing with, with, you know, this pandemic and COVID and all of the bullshit that comes between, you know, opinions and facts and this and that. It's like, you know, but if we're living in our own individual world of like what you can do, you know, I, I try to not take the side of, oh, well, I'm bipolar and that's why this is happening. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to like, see, this is the one problem that I feel like with a bipolar brain is sometimes you think of a hundred million things and you don't know how to put it into a sentence and, and release it. You know what I mean? Like, where you're and like, are, are you there times, feeling, are there you know? times when that's like a strength of yours to have all these ideas? It is. A, it's totally a strength when I have a pen and paper and I can write it all down. <laughs> um, or that's I have how I feel with my ADHD brain. Like yeah, sometimes I do it and other times. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, it's, it's really, I, I find it really hard. Like, you know, I, I host podcasts like you and I don't write questions down beforehand. I kind of just let it be a conversation because sometimes the, you know, interview will go in such a different direction than I ever in a million years thought it would go to. But yeah. then I'm like, and when someone's speaking, I'm so engaged in listening. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I have that. Oh, I'm going to ask them about this. Oh, wait, this, this, this. And then uh-huh. I'm like, uh, they stopped talking. I had 20 million things I wanted to ask you and I didn't know what I was going to fucking do. Like, I resonate just, with that so much. <laughs> oh my God. It is so annoying. Right. And you're just like, wait, I had all of these amazing thoughts. And then you're like, I don't want to feel unprepared. Anyways, that's my own struggle. So, so we can see like what it's like to struggle on the mind of Alison and Torsani right now. Uh- <laughs> well, but I think that's, I mean, look, I think that's important that you bring up your subjective experience, right? Because we're talking about this label bipolar. And yes, there are these characteristics that maybe fit for most sure. folks who have this diagnosis, but it does present differently for each person, you know, day to day. And sure. so really- It's interesting. I never heard of if. if- I love when you talked about your ADHD on how that's kind of that feeling, because this is a very new feeling for me, I'd say in the past, like Mm. two years where I've really not even, I would say year where I can't even identify, like I call it my bipolar brain, but maybe it's something else. Like I I didn't realize that that's what an HDHD, ADHD struggle. (laughs) Adding adding some Um, new diagnoses on today. The ADHD like symptom would be like. So that's really, I I think that that's kind of cool that you shared that because I never knew, you know, this is like, now I'm like rambling, but like, I'm going to just go with it for a second. But, you know, you can never identify and understand what it's like to be in someone's shoes, right? Regardless of of if they live with bipolar disorder or not. But I'm in a lot of, you know, help groups um, or therapy groups, if you will, like, you know, with, with peer-to-peer support and other people who live with bipolar disorder, I hear their stories and I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one that did that. That's so crazy that you did that too. Or mm-hmm. you feel this way, you feel like it's a volcano that's ready to explode and then you want to throw your phone across the room, but you don't really want to hurt anyone. Like, you know that feeling, you know? And, but to really, you know, sit in other people's shoes, you you never really understand what it's like. So I interview people who live with ADHD, who live with depression, who live with schizophrenia, who have, you know, borderline personality disorder. But unless you share your story and you share your experience or something that you may feel um, that's similar to you, you'll never really understand what it's like. So mm-hmm. just by you being like, oh my God, I know what that's like. 
it's so cool. Like I feel like a little, a little piece of, oh, this is what ADHD is like. Wow. You know, it's yeah. just, I, I think there's such importance in sharing stories that we can all relate, even if we don't have the same in quote unquote diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you don't align with a diagnosis, just connecting in community with people who maybe not aren't going to have the exact same experience as you, but someone that you can relate to and connect with. Yeah. Super grateful to my sponsors of this episode, Like a Kitten. Like a Kitten offers subscription gift boxes, so each season you'll receive a new shipment right to your door with all the ingredients to spice up your sex life. To celebrate spring, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash SNS. I personally can get overwhelmed about what toys to use and try and not break the bank in the process. This is where Like a Kitten comes in. The people at Like a Kitten are expert curators and they select beautiful pleasure products. This spring, you'll receive things like a pink glass dildo, flowered glass kegel balls, and even a mini flower pot with seeds for daisies, sunflowers, and roses. I always find something new to like with Like a Kitten boxes. To celebrate spring, Like a Kitten is offering listeners 15% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash S and S or enter code S A N D S at checkout. Just go to likeakitten.com slash S and S or use code S and S to get 15% off these incredible boxes. Likeakitten.com slash S and S. And the link is in the episode's description. So, I mean, what are some of the top things you think you've learned or have it have had as takeaways hosting this mental health podcast? Yeah. Wow. You know, hosting emotional support, I, I think really just has changed so much of my opinions of, of therapy. Even I think that's mm-hmm. what I've learned a lot. Um, you know, like I said earlier in the interview, how I was feeling so discouraged and not trustworthy towards, you know, doctors. And I'm still someone that's very skeptic. And I talk about it on one of my episodes um, with David Haggerty. We do Beauty in the Brain. It's like a little sub show on, on mine. Um, like your your version of Sluts and Scholars. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, you know, it's it's interesting because we we talk about how we're both such pushers and we're like, oh, the medical field is so important. Listen to scientists, listen to doctors. Like he is a scientist. Like he's even talking about this. But it is so hard when you have been misdiagnosed and you have been put on wrong medication and you have, you know, harmed yourself because of trusting another person's, you know, medical, you know, this is what you should be doing. Take this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really hard to then even in the real world, even if you're dealing with, you know, we talk about COVID and stuff like, how can you trust this? How can you trust that? You know? And it's really like relearning things. And I think that the more doctors I interview, the more therapists such as yourself that I interview, you know, um, the more I begin to trust and understand that we're all humans and we all have emotions and we all have feelings and we're not perfect. Um, And that's okay. And sometimes you just have to put blind trust in someone because they're not trying to harm you. They're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to help you, but sometimes it may take, like we said, they have limitations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, to be able to figure out what's the right, the right, you know, dosage for you or the right package for you. So I mm-hmm. think that that's a lot of the takeaways that I I, I learned and, and I've taken from hosting this mental health podcast is meeting people in the field of mental health that I never thought, A, I would meet, B, I would interview or C, that I would relate to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been really cool and, and just 
you know, my husband says, you know, if you start listening from the first episode of the podcast to now season three, like you really truly see a transformation of, of my own brain being me, um, you know, from the, the, the ears of the listener of an evolution of, you know, I used to talk shit about a lot of stuff, or I used to not believe in a lot of stuff. And, uh, there's really been a growth that I've had from, from really opening my mind and, and meeting interesting, wonderful, cool people. I mean, I would say that that's like a trauma response. I don't want to define it for you, but I have a lot of clients who have had negative experiences in the medical field. And so it wasn't just like they decided logically and were like, oh, well, I don't want to deal with that. It was like in their body, they had this trauma response to associating with doctors in the medical field because of negative things that had happened. And so in order to try to protect themselves, they were like, I'm going to avoid this thing because it's just caused me pain and stress or whatever. Um, And so it was literally their body pushing back against this thinking it was trying to protect them. Right, right. No, 100%. So you're like, why Why keep doing this if I'm going to keep getting disappointed and if it's not helping and I can't totally. believe it's them. Like if you burn your hand on the stove when you're a kid, you like eventually like go, I'm not going to do that because it hurts. You know what I yeah, mean? Unless, not, unless you like the pain. <laughs> unless you like the pain and then you must be a really good time. Uh, but that's <laughs> here or there. <laughs> well, we'll get, we can start, start talking about sex soon. You already mentioned Howard Stern. So this is a sex podcast. <laughs> so fun. I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah. Um, now I got distracted because I'm thinking about sex and Howard Stern. <laughs> I think between the two of us, we could just like go in circles around like, each other. <laughs> literally, it's like a it's it's gonna be a fun interview. It's already been oh, fun. well. One other thing I was gonna say too that I think is tough is like yes, healthcare practitioners are humans, and I think there's this established like um, hierarchy as well as this power dynamic, yeah. right? So it's on one hand, it's like, oh, we want to trust you. And they're sort of saying, trust us because we are in power because we have these higher education right. degrees. And at the same time, as the consumer, I think it can feel difficult and not go into that freeze response to say no and advocate for oneself when you've got this person who feels right. like they're in a position of power over you. Right, right. And right. so something I try to talk about with a lot of my clients is kind of helping them reclaim the power as the Uh, client or consumer in their healthcare Mm. stuff and like knowing what their rights are so they can advocate for themselves um, in a system that's maybe inundated with seeing so many clients that they've just kind of, you know, are doing what they can. Right. Oh, I love that. That's interesting. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like for for example, I have clients who have pelvic pain and they're really afraid to go to the OBGYN um, because of, you know, past trauma, because it's painful, because they've had bad experiences. And so one thing I talk to them a lot about is like that you can decline a pelvic exam, that you can help that you can offer to be hands-on in your pelvic exam and even Uh put your own speculum in that Uh you can ask questions that you can say no to things because a lot of them feel like oh my god i'm going to go there they're going to put this thing in my vagina and it's going to hurt and they're not going to care they're just going to tell me to relax let me tell you like i don't have pelvic pain but i am like doctors when they are putting things up your hoo-ha you're like whoa yeah or your asshole or whatever yeah yeah it like it's like oh my god wow like hello (laughs) nice to meet you you know and I'm someone that always like tries to make the joke you know what I mean like to them and they're like it's not funny this is our job and I'm like oh that's how I deal with my like that's how I deal with my trauma Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's make a little segue to sex stuff. Uh, What do you feel like is the intersection to you between, um, 
mental health and sexual health. You know what? I, I'll tell you something that I've learned with, with the podcast is I've learned that I'm a pretty sexually healthy human being. And I say this not in comparison to other people, but I never knew stories of sexual traumas before. I never really, um, you know, I, I've certainly been in situations and, and dealt with things where I've had trauma happen to me in a slight sense. Okay. Um, you know, I'm an actress, but I'm always someone that's been very comfortable, um, with my own sexuality to preface this. I was a national jazz and tap champion. That's my, that's my big, my big, uh, my awards. That's what I, Oh my gosh. And the black belt. Yeah. I'm sorry. This, I, I peaked at nine. I'm telling you, like I peaked at nine, but I was someone who was a dance competition girl. So you had to change your clothes on stage, you know what I mean, to get to the next one, to put the next costume on. I was someone that starting at, at baby, you could not keep clothes on me. I got in trouble in, in kindergarten and preschool because I was always stripping and taking clothes off. And they'd call my mom <laughs> and say, Alice Hunter is walking around naked with her diaper on. She, she needs to put her dress on. You know, my mom's <laughs> like, I don't know what you want, you know. So I'm someone that's very comfortable with my sexuality and with my body and who I am. Well, I'm and glad I, that them telling you to put it back on didn't start this like shame spiral. It sounds like you, you right? kept it going. I, because my mom was like, nah, she wants me naked. Let her let her be naked. Like I was always naked with a nice pair of shoes. Like that's just- Just for listeners, uh, she is wearing clothes today for- her I interview. am wearing clothes right now. That's <laughs> not saying much, but I am wearing them right now. But it's funny, like I, I you know, but what's interesting is I never really understood um, sex trauma and, you know, um, things of that sort of that nature until mm. I interviewed people um, mm. and really understood. I always had a respect for it, but really now I have such a, a, a and like I'm very, I'm kind of an empath in a way where I can feel people's traumas and I can feel when, you know, I'm not a full empath, but if we're going to go on a woo-woo sense, I am, you know, um, very empathetic human being. Um, but I, I, I really, I've learned a lot about and being like, wow, I didn't realize how important the way that my mother taught me about sex was the way that, you know, I was nurtured and protected and I didn't experience huge traumas of, you know, sexual harassment and stuff like that being in the business that I was, you know, mm -hmm. there's, you know, I can think of maybe just a few handful of times where I was put in very uncomfortable situations, um, and learned from that. Um, so I've been very lucky in that sense, um, that, you know, it's only been up in the mind of, of that I've had to deal with the trauma, you know, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I wonder, cause one of the diagnostics of bipolar, and I don't know if this resonated with you and, um, this doesn't happen for everybody, but one of the things that can happen during a manic phase is, um, the desire to have like a lot of sex, potentially like risky sex. Right. Um, and I've always felt like, a little bit of a wondering about that because as someone who's mm -hmm. very sex positive, like I don't want people to be judged for having lots of sex. Right. Um, even if it's like quote unquote riskier because all sex has risks to it. Right. Um, but I wonder, was there ever a way that you saw any of your bipolar stuff um, impacting sex and relationships? No. And what's interesting is I didn't know about that fact until um, mm. 
I had started kind of right before the podcast. And then I had met other people who lived with bipolar disorder and a handful of them had that experience. And I was like, wait, that's a part of, you know, it's so interesting. Another thing that they say when you're younger, like when you're going through puberty, a sign of bipolar disorder in females is anorexia or bulimia because it's control. Mm. Um, Mm. And that was something that I never lived with. I never struggled with, with, you know, body dysmorphia. That was never something that was, was, ever a trigger for me. So, you know, that which was- is really, I think speaks a lot to whatever your natural resilience is, because I think being a professional dancer and an actor, there's so yeah. much pressure on body yeah, stuff. Like, think- how did you swipe around this? Like, I, I, wonder. I honestly think that it was just my ego and my narcissism was so big <laughs> that I just I thought I was perfect. <laughs> See, there are upsides to some mental illness things, right? Some is a good thing sometimes. I'm telling you. No, I I think that that might have been it, but that was one of the things that later on in life when I've spoken to other doctors, they're like, yeah, you know, that could have been a huge impact as to, you know, that was a big diagnosis for bipolar disorder for women, you know, between 13 to, you know, 16 years old. And if you didn't have that, that wouldn't have been a check mark you know? Um, so it is interesting, but it is, it is interesting because that you, that you bring up the sex thing because I did not know about that until quite recently, but I do have people in my life that I know living with the same diagnosis as me that did go through that and have that wild. Um, and it's interesting because I don't know if I would say like when I hear their stories that I would say it was like wild sex, like it's more of the dangerous, like not not like being like free and like no inhibitions. It's yeah, like, it's like let me meet this person that I was just talking to at four a.m. on Grinder and meet. And I don't know, and I don't know them. Me. I'm not telling anyone where I'm going. Right. Like right. things feel sketchy, and then afterwards, it like doesn't feel like enough, and you have to like keep going. Right, right. I think that that's more what it is from yeah. what I've been told. Yeah, I mean, I I think there can definitely be a range, um, but yeah, I think I think there is definitely an intersection of like the body image, of course, and the sex stuff. So I wonder in addition to narcissism, Oh, we'll we'll just call it Um, self-confidence. Self-confidence. What are are some other things that you think maybe have been helpful to um, maintain this like positive sexual view? I think my mother, honestly, Um, my mother never shamed sex. She never, um, when I was, you know, bored and conversation. I, I don't remember having the the sex talk because it was always talked about in a very um, factual way. It yeah, was never- And, and an ongoing called, conversation. Yeah. It was never not called the vagina, the vulva, the penis, you know what I mean? The testicles. It was never like the wee wee this and that. It was never, you know, and I know that that sounds so silly to say that, but I think because it was talked about as such an- a, not like in an adult way, but in a very factual way that for me, if there were questions, like it was never a problem. Like I was someone, you know, that, you know, I, I got my period at a very, very uncomfortably young age, um, that nor that normal kids wouldn't get it that young. And it was never me being like, oh my God, I'm going to hide this from my mom. Like I remember like getting my first period and being like, I don't really know what this is, but I think I know what this is, but I think I'm a little young according to my facts like <laughs> that this is happening. You know, every like sexual things and, and body changes and stuff and hormones. Um, 
it was a normal conversation. And I think that 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 definitely may have helped a lot, but, but I don't know, you know what I mean? Maybe it's just the way that, that my mind works. I'm not sure. I just know that it helped, you know, it helped me a lot knowing facts opposed to fake, you know, fake little kitty things. Yeah. I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, but it's definitely not silly. Even the, even the terms that we have for genitals can definitely yeah. cause uh, shame and trauma if you lived with parents who called them something else. Cause it's basically yeah. saying that this thing is so bad and so dirty that um, yeah. even saying the word is unfathomable. Right. Right. And like when I had like crushes on boys and stuff like that, like things were like, you know, encouraged, like things were, you know, not that sounded really bad. I didn't mean things were encouraged, but I mean, like things were, were positive, like in the sense where it was like, Oh, do you want to go on a date? Okay. Well, I will drive you there. Like, you know what I mean? I'm going to help, you know, how I'm I'm not going to don't hide things from me. I don't know know if encouraged, I don't know if encouraged is bad either. I think maybe we have a reaction to that because it's like, I wasn't shamed for liking, liking guys. And I wasn't shamed for wanting to date people. And I wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I, that was something I, you know, I never was a drinker or anything either because it was so available. I feel like growing up around me and not in my house, but like, you know, in the environment that I grew up with, we both grew up in LA, you know, it was very Mm -hmm. easy to like, you know, get alcohol. (laughs) I feel like everyone had a fake ID. (laughs) Everyone had a fake ID. You could go to the club. I was going to the club at a young age. But I never felt like I, I wonder if we met each other. I'm sure we did. I am sure we did. <laughs> we'll talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I never had to hide anything from my mom, you know. Um, and I think that maybe that helped a lot of of why I why I'm the way that I am. And last question before we start to wrap up, like what do you think has been most helpful for you? And maybe it hasn't been a struggle, but I do work with a lot of creatives and this is a really tough industry. Um, Do you have any tips for folks maintaining their mental health in an industry that there is so much uh, rejection, so much effort having to put forth? Like, how do you, how do you stay sane (laughs) in this tough Hollywood industry? Um, (laughs) I mean, what is, what is sanity, right? Yeah. I'm going to pretend that I stay sane, you know, honestly. No, don't. No, but I mean, I've been doing this acting thing since I was like nine. Right. So for me, um, rejection is something that I'm used to and you still feel it even at 34 years old. I still feel it, you know, every single time. Um, But you got to just wipe your hands clean and walk away. And so what I say to people is if it's affecting you to the point where someone is literally like, you know, I've been in auditions where they're on their phone and they stop me mid, you know, scene and they're like, thanks, you know, it's just not going to work. You're just not you're not the right thing. And I'm like, excuse Ugh, me. On their phone. Like they're not even, <laughs> like they weren't even paying attention. And I, you know, I've had really like talk about traumatic experiences. Like those are traumatic experiences. And for me, I've been through that and I've thrived and, and pushed forward. And it's because it's a passion of mine and I can't imagine doing anything else in my life. That's why I do it. So if you don't have that live or die passion for it, where the rejection can be put aside because you're going to push through because you, or it's important for you to do it anyway, even if no one's watching. Exactly. Exactly. Then don't do it. Oh, that's hard. (laughs) I feel, I mean, I'm not, I guess I'm like industry adjacent, but I feel that too. It's hard to uh, do what you love and not get whatever validation you're hoping or looking for and still want to do it anyway. Yeah. It sucks. (laughs) 
fucking love it. <laughs> well, um, I have been so glad to have you here oh, with me to talk. I can't wait to have you health. on my show. I'm excited as well. And then to, to get together and talk about our kid club days. Yeah. Um, so how can folks follow your podcast, get in touch, anything? Yeah, You can, uh, s- please subscribe, like, and leave a review. I, I, I post all my reviews, so I would love that. Um, it's called emotional support spelt like emotional support. Um, and you can find it anywhere at emotional support pod or emotionalsupportpod.com. And then you can find me at Alessandra Torresani. Thank you. And yes, good reminder, please rate, review, do all those things anywhere you listen to podcasts, to our podcasts, to other ones you listen to. Otherwise, it's so hard to keep things going uh, for rankings and all that. So rate and review all that. Thank you. Um, Again, if you want to follow what I'm doing, listeners, I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And don't forget also to check out the uh, advertiser discounts because it's shit. (laughs) Ooh, I love a discount. Yeah, thank you. All right, talk to you all next week. Peace.